Changing Healthcare, a podcast about accelerating transformation from Change Healthcare, where insights and technology meet to help make healthcare work better for everyone. In the United States today, cancer is one of the most expensive and complex medical conditions to treat. But why are costs so high, especially for patients? And how can we better use technology and data to advance health equity and address disparities? Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Yusuf Safar. And on this episode of Changing Healthcare, a podcast about accelerating transformation, I have the pleasure of speaking with the co-founder, president, and chief medical officer of Time Care, Dr. Bobby Green. Dr. Green, like me, is an oncologist and health tech veteran who, along with his team at Time Care, is working tirelessly to provide personalized care teams that can help cancer patients through their journey. He joins me now to talk all about the importance of combining a human touch with technology to improve lives and reduce costs. Welcome, Bobby. As you know, we met a few years ago and it's been great getting to know you. Likewise. Excited to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Of course, of course. While we've known each other for some time now, for our listeners, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and time care and, and how you got to where you are right now? Sure. So I'm a medical oncologist by background. I practiced down here in West Palm Beach, Florida, which is where I am today. Sort of a nice time of year to be down here for a lot of years, more than I sometimes care to remember. And had a bit of a career pivot in about 2014 when I cut back to seeing patients one day a week and spent the next seven years at Flatiron Health, where I most recently was chief medical officer. It was where I met you. One of one of actually my highlights at Flatiron was when we had that ASCO plenary session that you did that wonderful uh, discussion of afterwards, which I think was around the time uh, we met, but had an amazing time at Flatiron while also still being able to take care of patients and, and be a clinician. And then for the last two years at TimeCare, where I'm a co-founder and president chief medical officer and having just a really incredible time trying to build another company that I view as helping to solve some of the problems that I think you and I both experienced in, in a lot of years of clinical practice. And, you know, I definitely want to get into the details of time care and what you're working on, but just high level, tell us what are the key challenges in cancer care that you're trying to address? Yeah, the way I like to frame it is all of the bad stuff that we know happens to patients when they walk out of the exam room or that happens to them before they even walk into our exam room for the first time. So if you think about all of the chaos and difficulty for a new cancer diagnosis, getting in to see an oncologist quickly and getting that workup done to very basic access-related issues when you're in an oncology practice, not being able to get transportation to the office, having issues with food insecurity, not being able to get through the phone line to the practice, which happens at even the best practices, getting confused about your medications, not understanding your prognosis. There's so many things that seem to break down outside the walls of the office and it's sort of at a very high level, that's what we're trying to tackle. Because not only are those things bad for the patient experience, but they also drive up healthcare costs and have a lot of really bad downstream effects. 
Yeah, and it's the part of cancer care that doesn't get all the headlines often, right? We hear about the new drugs and the new targeted therapies and all of those advances, as we should. But this part that you're focused on, it sometimes gets left in the shadows, doesn't it? It totally does. And I love the drug analogy. One of our sort of guiding principles at Time Care is that cancer navigation, if you think about it, broadly and all-encompassing to mean everything from what people would typically think about navigation to electronic patient-reported outcomes. There's a lot of data that it works. It works to improve outcomes, reduce the cost of care, improve overall survival in some cases. But unlike drugs, when a new drug gets approved, you've never worried about whether that that drug was going to be available in your clinic in a short period of time. But an EPRO intervention that improves survival or a lay health worker intervention that reduces the total cost of care, that doesn't end up in everyone's clinic a couple months after the studies are done that show that they work. So there's a lot of good data, but you're right. We don't hear about them a lot and they don't get the headlines. So let's dig into one of the challenges that you guys are addressing. And I think it was actually the the last one that you mentioned as you were going through the list of challenges that Time Care is focused on, and that's cost. I don't need to tell you about the, <laughs> the data around cost in cancer care. But just very quickly, if you think about the proportion of patients who experience financial burden as a result of cancer treatment, I mean, that number is anywhere from 40 to 60%. And that cost can be thousands of dollars, if not tens of thousands of dollars a year for patients with insurance. We've heard the term financial toxicity used to describe this phenomenon. What does that mean to you when you hear that term or when you hear about the cost that our patients face? Yeah. One thing I will say is you're right. We hear about it a lot. That wasn't true always in the past. So I think that the fact that we do hear about it and talk about it and think about it a lot is an advancement, maybe a small one, but it's still an important one. It refers to the problems that cancer patients encounter related to the costs that go along with having cancer and their treatment. There is at least from our perspective, a common misconception that it's only referring to the high cost of medication and care, but it goes much beyond that and depends on a lot of different factors. But a macro level, even outside of the fact that you're paying bills for the cancer treatment, it affects your ability to work. Your ability to work is what earns money. Earning money is what allows you to pay the power bill, to pay for food, to pay for transportation. And you just alluded to this, but the data out there is really pretty extensive about the financial impact that going through a cancer diagnosis has, whether it's bankruptcy, incidency in patients, people depleting their savings to cover the cost of cancer care, people stopping treatment, especially around oral chemotherapy due to costs. So we sort of like to think about these things holistically. It's yes, it's treatment. Yes, it's drugs. But it's also all the other things that that really can have a profound impact on, on people who are going through cancer treatment. Yeah, and I think you're making a really important point there. And and I'll tell you, I, I have been the loudest in the crowd to say, oh, our drug prices are too high. And that's what's contributing to what patients are experiencing. Just like you said, there's so much more to it than that. And, and there's so much data showing that actually ED visits and hospital admissions, particularly for patients newly diagnosed with cancer, actually drive costs for patients and the health system even more than drugs do. Yeah, 100%. And we see that. And wearing my time care hat and as a clinician, you see that every day. 
So keep your time care hat on for a second there and talk to us a little bit in terms of how are you approaching this problem of the costs that patients are experiencing, be it from drugs or hospitalization or, or the indirect costs that you mentioned as well as having to be off work and not having transportation and so on. From a time care perspective, one of the things that we really focus on, and I'll say this even though the term I think tends to get overused, but the idea of a whole person approach, but I think that's relevant, right? Because if you're only looking at what someone's paying with their drug responsibility or what someone's paying as the copay for the office visit, you're missing the broader question. So one of the things that we're really focused on is trying to look at all of the different things, specifically from a cost perspective, that impact things here. And one big area, to your point, around a lot of what's driving costs is people ending up in the hospital, getting admitted, going to the ED. As you and I both know, there is a non-trivial percentage of that that is actually preventable and that happens for reasons that it shouldn't happen. A lot of our time and energy, both from a people and a technology side, is spent trying to work on keeping people out of the hospital. And there's lots of good reasons to do that. There's reasons it's better for the patient, it's better for outcomes, it's better for cost to the healthcare system in general, but it also, in a lot of cases, drives down the actual costs for, for the patient. So I just want to sort of flag that as a key component. But beyond that, one of the things that we really spend a lot of time doing is looking at, and again, a term that gets used a lot, and maybe some people would say overused now, but social determinants of health, the things that exist in someone's life that impact both access and their ability to pay for care, where they live, their social situations, their financial circumstances, race, ethnicity, all these things, again, as you know, Yusuf, have a, a real tremendous impact on their ability to receive high-quality care and, and, and cancer treatment. And so in addition to the focus on acute care utilization, a bunch of different things we do. One is we really try to be proactive about identifying patients who have health-related social needs. And I think that's really important. You need to be proactive about doing that. The second thing, and I hear this from oncologists all the time, and especially as people have talked about the enhancing oncology model and the need to do these HRSN assessments. Can you just briefly tell us a little bit about the enhancing oncology model for our listeners who might not be familiar with it? Yep, I'm falling into my trap of throwing out acronyms without the proper context, so thanks for catching that. The enhancing oncology model, which is a model sponsored by CMMI, which is the successor to the previous value-based program sponsored by CMMI and oncology called the Oncology Care Model, which is a voluntary value-based program in which oncology practices are incentivized to try to drive down costs, improve the quality of care, and improve patient outcomes. And one of the components of the enhancing oncology model is asking practices to collect data on HRSNs or health-related social needs. One of the things that we have heard from lots of oncologists and practices that we've talked to is it's great to ask the questions, but you don't want to ask a question without having something to do about it. And so to your point and getting back to the ways that we are trying to tackle this is we want to be able to ask the questions, but we also want to be efficiently able to find people resources and to get them the help that they ultimately need. This concept that you are working on at Time Care, this whole patient concept, it's not new, right? 
this idea has been around for as long as I've been practicing that we need to think about more than just the disease and about the patient and what they're experiencing. Why now? And what's time care done differently to start making progress in this when so many of us have just been talking about it? This has been a tough area to get into and to succeed in, right? Yeah. We do acknowledge it's not it's not new. So this gets back a little bit to the the point I made before of there's been a lot of really good work studies in navigation programs and institutions and places that do a good job and that even after the research is published continue to do a good job. I think what has traditionally happened is these things don't scale. Right. So the work in a lot of ways that's done across a lot of great institutions, whether it's UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham, whether it's at Stanford, it's not to say that these things don't get used elsewhere. But if you were to sort of randomly pull a patient out of an oncology clinic somewhere in the United States, the odds are they're not going to be getting these holistically. And we would argue it's because these things are hard to scale. They're hard to scale because they're operationally complex. It's really hard to think about how you're going to implement something like this. They need to, specifically if you're thinking about navigating in a cancer population, you need an oncology focus and expertise. We think technology is a critical part of this and having the right tools to be able to do this is critical. And then lastly, this came up a lot in the meeting at ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology back in June in a lot of the discussions, like these things work, but who's going to pay for it? Right. Again, when a new drug gets approved, you never worry that the drug's going to be reimbursed. You might worry about the copays and the cost of it, but you don't have to worry it's going to get reimbursed. The question with a lot of these interventions is who is going to pay for that? So with that context, we're coming into this basically saying we want to build a scalable navigation model. So that's a combination of people, clinicians and lay health workers, what we call care partners with the right technology to help standardize it, to help make it more efficient, but also align incentives between health plans who we partner with, between the clinicians who are actually taking care of patients. Last I checked, that was an important thing. Partnering with the doctors who are taking care of patients and really try to do this in a way that creates a financially sustainable model. You said another triggering word for me, which is incentives. I think healthcare today in the U.S. is all about aligning incentives, just like you said, right? You also mentioned CMS's value-based model, enhancing oncology model, and their prior OCM. Talk a little bit about the struggle with aligning incentives and who pays, right? Which is such a critical question. I, I really want to make sure that we don't just blow past that because it's so much at the core of what we do. Talk about how you sort of situate yourself to deliver such an important solution while aligning incentives? I would say, I think we both acknowledge we live in a predominantly fee-for-service world in which there is still incentive to always across every medical specialty, you get paid more if you do more, right? Like that's the way the model has been set up. Everything we're talking about here is really shifting to a value-based framework. I think it is helpful to talk for a second about the oncology care model, OCM, or about the EOM. And what they were really trying to do is they went to oncologists and they said, we want you to do things like keep people out of the hospital, 
Certainly, that's a good thing and an important thing to do. We want you to have care navigation. We want you to do all of these things to transform care because they're going to keep people out of the hospital. They're going to encourage appropriate end-of-life care, hopefully reduce the percentage of patients who are getting chemotherapy within 14 days of death. We want you to use biosimilars. When there's an opportunity to use a less expensive drug that's therapeutically equivalent, we want you to do that. So the model was, we want you to do all these things, which are great, but they take a lot of work and they take a lot of thought and they take a lot of time. So the model for both OCM and EOM oversimplifying was do these things, save money, we'll measure that for you, and we want you to share in the savings that you're generating, and we want to pay you to ultimately do this. So flipping the incentive model on its head. So one way to think about what we're doing is we're trying to recreate that. So partnering with health plans and saying, we want to and we will deploy these navigation interventions. We will partner with practices to improve quality and also reduce unnecessary spend. And it's going to take time and energy from us, but it also takes time and energy from clinicians. And we want to take the dollars that are saved. And as time care, we're an organization that will go at risk in these settings. But we also want to create the relationships with the physicians who are doing a lot of the work here and have those incentives flow back to them as well. And that's how we've built the model. You are including engaging as many of the key stakeholders as possible because Really, that's the only way to do it, right? And and isn't oncology the perfect test tube? And I'm not just saying that because both of us are somewhat biased, but isn't it the perfect test tube for this sort of intervention, the perfect laboratory, right? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's hard. I think it's good because there's so much spend because it's a chronically ill population. I think you have a lot of sophistication across the oncology community that makes oncology practices really well suited to do these sorts of things. I think it is hard, especially when you get into how do you measure outcomes. As you know, cancer isn't one disease. It's not five diseases. It's not 10 diseases. It's some number much more than that. And so you can do a really good job managing the cost of care, but a new drug could get approved for bladder cancer. And you got to figure out how to account for that when you're measuring your impact. So I think it gets hard on the measurement side, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's a great place to be doing this. And I am very heavily biased because it's, it's what I've done and it's what I know. Right. Time Care's mission is to offer value-based cancer care through all of the phases of cancer treatment, making quality care accessible and affordable for all. Time Care is paving the way to strengthen the connection between technology and other social determinants of health, turning data into insights that can truly improve cancer care for all. If you're in need of a personalized care team to help you through your cancer journey, visit timecare.com to learn more and check your eligibility. I want to get back to one of the other points that you just made, and that was around a key to success to what you're doing has to be scale. Right. And actually, one of the biggest barriers to what you're trying to do has been to date lack of scale. And, you know, you and I are both in the health tech world. So clearly, tech has to play a role. Tech data have to play a role in scale. So I want to talk about how Time Care leans on technology 
But before getting into that, I'd love to hear your thoughts broadly around where we're going with technology and healthcare. I mean, I think you and I would both agree that you can never replace the human to human contact. Ultimately, it's got to be about that, right? But where can we go with technology, seeing that there's already been a few stumbling blocks along the way? What are we doing right when it comes to technology and healthcare? I think certainly, again, taking drug costs out of it. I mean, just watching the ASH, this is the American Society of Hematology, results that have come out over the last week or so, and just seeing some of the advances in hematologic malignancies. I mean, it's not overstating to say that we sort of continue to be in this, while there are still many, many unmet needs, just sort of dramatic acceleration of new therapeutics for people with cancer. So I think we're making a lot of progress on that front. Also interesting to see the data on the MR RNA vaccine in melanoma, which came out. I mean, it's just it's a really exciting mm-hmm. time. So I think that's sort of the easy area to think about. I think, and you know, I don't want to wearing my hat from flat iron experience. I do think that 10 years ago, real world data, real world evidence wasn't a thing that people talked about a lot. And I think it's had and will continue to have an impact in this space in a way that has been meaningful. I won't talk a whole lot right now. I think electronic health records, while there have been some good things, I still think there's there's a long ways to go. But I mean, listen, the ability to send in prescriptions electronically, even though it's not always a smooth workflow, it's meaningful. The ability to engage patients through multiple technological challenges, channels rather, whether it's texting or phone, the advent of virtual care during COVID. I think those things have all been really positive. And I think it gives you a view for what the future could look like, but we still have a ways to go. Sure. And so, you know, I think at Time Care, you guys are sort of taking that next step, enhancing care management and using that tech-enabled services approach to improve care. So tell us a little bit about how specifically in Time Care, you're enabling technology to improve care delivery. Yeah, and and I'll come back to the point you made a second ago that it's tech and people. And it's one of our core beliefs is that you have to have the two together and that there are just certain things that a bot isn't going to uh, replace and shouldn't replace. There's sort of two broad buckets when we think about how we're using technology. The first is around the software for navigation. And then the other is how to use analytics to improve the navigation experience. So on the software side, we essentially have virtual navigators. So as I said, oncology nurses and care partners who are non-clinical navigators, and they're working virtually to interact with people with cancer. And that means that they are reaching out virtually, communicating virtually, deciding what interventions to take, deciding when do I need to get this patient to the practice, deciding who do I need to reach out to first today. And they need to be able to do it in a way that's consistent. So we should be treating or triaging someone who has diarrhea the same if they're on the same set of drugs in one practice or in one state as we're doing somewhere else. There's obviously nuances between patients, but you want to be able to standardize the way people are reacting. You want to standardize the way you address food insecurity. You want to standardize the way you think about how to get people transportation. 
So building the content of what you should do and pairing it with the technology that allows people to, I've identified someone with food insecurity. These are the four things that I ultimately need to do. This is how I'm going to prevent it from going through the cracks. This is how I'm going to communicate with the patient. I know that this person is someone I can communicate with, with texting. I know that this person is someone who needs a phone call. I know that this person is someone who has a smartphone and is going to be able to interact with me that way. Making sure that the communication ultimately gets tailored in the correct way so that I can do this in the most efficient way possible, making sure that people practice to the top of their license. If you think about it, it would be hard to scale a program that has oncology nurses finding transportation Mm -hmm. for people. Right. Like you don't need to be an oncology nurse to find transportation. An oncology nurse should be putting their skills to things that an oncology nurse is able to do. So making sure that you're doing the right thing for the right patient in the right context. And so we've basically built software that helps to allow for all of that and to allow it to be QA'd so that you can make sure that the people who are doing XYZ are doing it in a consistent way. And you can track that and get feedback on that and also learn from what you've done before. So building this software platform that ultimately allows us to do that, and it's interesting, we've had some discussions around people who are interested in using the software as freestanding that we've actually been exploring because right now we're doing it with our people, but there are things that you could think about tech enabling other people as well. And then the other half to this long-winded answer is the analytics part to it. So really being able to understand and to stratify patients, right? If you're reaching out to a patient for the first time and you know that it's highly likely based on the treatments that they're on, where they live and other data points that they have, that their biggest problem is going to be transportation, why not have a non-clinician reach out to them on that first phone call? If you know that someone is very likely to be having toxicity from a checkpoint inhibitor and that they've been in the ER five times in the last two months, then they're A, someone you should be reaching out to quickly, and B, someone who you should probably be reaching out to with a clinician. So being able to prioritize people, and then also being able to measure the impact that you're having. Because if you keep doing things and don't know what's working and don't know what's not, it becomes very, very hard to, to scale and, and to grow. You mentioned measuring impact, which is exactly what I wanted to ask you about next. You guys have done some really interesting studies over the years. And the most recent one that I wanted you to briefly talk about was you presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology Quality Forum, which is where we last met in person. And I really enjoyed that study. Can you just sort of briefly give us the high level of what you found? Yeah, that was actually one of my first times, I think, out with other humans <laughs> in, in a long time. It was nice. So yeah. if I seemed overly excited to see you. It wasn't you. It was just that you were another person that isn't in my live in my house. That's disappointing because I wasn't. I, I was a little bit excited at the reception I received, Bobby. So I'm a little bit disappointed now. But please continue. So what we did is, in our first partnership in New Jersey, we had been navigating their cancer population for a little bit over a year. And so what we tried to do and what we did is assess the impact of our navigation program on the total cost of care. Without getting too much into the details, it was not a randomized controlled trial, but the way that we tried to do it was modeled after some work that Gabrielle Rock out of University of Alabama, Birmingham had done looking at their navigation program back in, that was published in JAMA, I think in 2017. 
And we basically created a control group, matched the patients based on a variety of factors, and looked at the total cost of care and what was driving that care, comparing the patients that we had navigated to match patients that hadn't been navigated in that population. And what we found was a little bit more than a $400 per member per month decrease in total cost of care. The bulk of that was from inpatient utilization, which was not surprising given the interventions that we were doing. And also saw a concomitant drop in ED and hospitalization visits in that data set as well. Really fantastic work and brings us back to the point we made when we started, right? It's not just the drugs and there's room for improving care by intervening on some of those other costs. A really interesting study, Bobby. It's illegal actually to talk about healthcare in the public setting in December and not end with a question around around your predictions for next year. So I think I'm legally obliged to ask you what's happening next year in our industry, what's happening in healthcare and health tech that you're going to be most interested in keeping an eye on. There's a lot of things. I will say just from a policy and from a government and oncology perspective, I'm really interested to see what happens with the enhancing oncology model, both from the standpoint of who's going to join, are there going to be any changes made? How's that going to roll out and how's it going to be received? I think are all really, really interesting questions. It also actually is in a really nice way, I think, pushing for the need for technology solutions. One of the things that's mandated, electronic patient reported outcomes. I think there's a real tech role for collection in the health-related social needs that's going to be a part of that. I'm really, really excited about that. I also think this isn't quite go with 2023, but the Inflation Reduction Act, as that rolls out, there's a fair amount of controversy about the IRA. I think there are a lot of things that are uncertain. One of the things, though, that seems pretty clear to me is that it ought to have pretty significant positive financial impact for patients, especially on the Part D side, which, as you know, there are lots of cost issues related to oral drugs for cancer patients. And I'm excited to see that it's likely to mitigate that as well. I hope to see a world in which we continue to push for value-based care, that there's also a real focus on not only thinking about the cost to the health plans or the cost to society, but also the cost to the people who are actually going through the treatment. And I think that there has been momentum there, and i like to think that that will continue. I got to say, this has been a tremendous conversation, Bobby, and I cannot thank you enough for joining us. Well, I'm so excited you had me on. And it's always great to talk to you, Yusuf, whether it's virtually or in person. That's right. Hopefully next time uh, in person, Bobby. Yeah. Thank you so much. That would be great. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. My thanks to Dr. Bobby Green for being on the show today to educate us on how time care is personalizing care for patients on their cancer journey and improving outcomes. Thanks as well to you for listening. Please remember to leave a review and subscribe. I'm Dr. Yusuf Safar, and this has been Changing Healthcare, a podcast about accelerating transformation.